2024 marks the 100th anniversary of the Royal Canadian Air Force with celebrations and events planned to honor those who have served and those serving today while inspiring the next generation of RCAF personnel. Visit rcaf2024arc.ca to learn about the RCAF's past and current fleet of more than 200 aircraft, plus the many planned activities including air shows, e-gaming tournaments, the RCAF Run, Canadian Tulip Festival, and STEM activities for youth. Then, on April 1st, in recognition of the positive impact the RCAF has had worldwide, businesses, cities, and landmarks around the world will be illuminating in Air Force Blue to celebrate the occasion. Join the fun. Illuminate your residence or place of work in blue to show your support while joining a world record attempt for the most landmarks illuminated within 24 hours. And when you do, share a picture on social media using hashtag RCAF2024, hashtag RCAF100, or hashtag Your Air Force. Again, RCAF2024ARC.ca to learn more about the Royal Canadian Air Force Centennial. It is the only museum in the world dedicated to Marine Corps aviation. We have a very large collection of around 40 aircraft, all Marine Corps aircraft, to honor the history, legacy, and contributions of Marine Corps aviation to the security of our nation. Hello and welcome to the Fighter Pilot Podcast. This is episode 171. I am your host, Vincent Aiello. And this week we have a shorter episode. It's a discussion about the Flying Leatherneck Aviation Museum and their impending move from Marine Corps Air Station Miramar up to Irvine, California. And since I just returned from a five-day airline trip and getting ready for the big Independence Day holiday here in the United States, which by the time you hear this, hopefully you enjoyed it. But uh, I'm getting ready for it, so without further ado, let's get straight to today's episode, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us here on the Fighter Pilot Podcast. My guest today is a 31-year veteran of the United States Marine Corps. He flew helicopters and did many other amazing things, and today he's our guest on the Fighter Pilot Podcast, retired Brigadier General Michael Aguilar. Sir, welcome to the show. Vincent, thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation and opportunity to not only talk to you, but meet your guests. Well, great. Well, I'm glad to have you here because you are part of a very important effort that I want to shine some light on today. But before I touch very briefly on your background, almost not even a bio, but help us out with that. So you uh, flew helicopters, you served 31 years, and give us some of the other highlights of your fascinating career. Well, I was very fortunate. After school, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, went to Long Beach State, and of course joined the Marine Corps to see the world. It turns out, because I ended up flying H-1s, uh, starting off in Hueys, transitioning to Cobras, I spent 75% of my career here at Captain Pendleton. Uh, so the only time I left California was either going overseas, going to school. At the end of my career, I ended up in Washington. But in addition to filling billets, as any pilot would in the squadron, a variety of billets in there, commanding a helicopter attack squadron, an air group, also have the distinction of being one of the only, if not the only, aviator to run the Marine Corps Drill Instructor School here at MCRD San Diego. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's normally a uh, ground officer's assignment, but they were looking to expose the recruits to aviation. So I was down there, and I like to jokingly say uh, the reason I got it, it was a major's billet. I was one of the few 
majors that was a 300 pft -er, and I never cut myself with the sword. So. <laughs> well, and the PFT is the physical fitness test, right? So Correct. you performed it in such a manner that you got the maximum score. Right. I did that once in my Navy career. <laughs> I was pretty young and uh, had been working out a lot. But it was what? I think for us, it was push-ups and sit-ups. Did you also have pull-ups in yours? I yeah, think? we had pull-ups, sit-ups, and a time three-mile okay. run. As long All as right. you were going downhill, it was great. Good. Well, according to your bio here, it also says you are, I think, the first person of Mexican descent to reach the rank of general officer. I am a, a distinction that uh, yeah. I didn't realize uh, until I was selected. But yes, the first person of Mexican descent, my mother was born in Mexico. My father was born second generation up in Northern California when my grandparents had moved here to the United States. Well, General, you've been retired as long as some people have a career, over 20 years now. What have you been doing since then? And that's a, hopefully a segue into our conversation for today. Well, I remained in federal government. After retirement, I was one of the first eight individuals hired by the new Transportation Security Administration. Of course, in response to 9-11, the government established TSA. So I was one of the first uh, individuals that took the position we called the Federal Security Director. I like to think I was one of the smarter ones. I told them I'll take one of three assignments, uh, San Diego, San Diego, or San Diego. <laughs> they gave me my third choice. So I ended up as the Federal Security Director for TSA here in the San Diego County. I had all of, in addition to San Diego Airport, it covered the whole region, San Diego County. After that, not surprisingly, I went into what most retired military and general officer, flag officers go into, and that's consulting. So I did some consulting for around five years. And at the end of my five-year period, I decided that I'd go into retirement and then volunteer with the Flying Leatherneck Aviation Museum, which at the time was at Miramar. So uh, I got involved with the museum in the foundation. But during my tenure there, the Marine Corps decided to close down the museum, and that's where I became involved and now brought on as the president CEO of the Flying Leatherneck Historical Foundation, which is in the process of relocating the Flying Leatherneck Aviation Museum from Marine Corps Air Station Miramar back to its original home at Marine Corps Air Station El Toro now called Great Park in Irvine. Right. And I do fly over that from time to time, and it's kind of sad to watch the runways continually shrink <laughs> because they're reclaiming much of that, and some of that's going to stay, and we'll get to that. But I was a student at VMFAT 101 in El Toro okay. in 1995 and 6. It was the best year of my life. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And I have a picture of me standing in front of an F-18 on display. I believe it was at that um, facility with also my big truck and my motorcycle uh, because those <laughs> right. were the three vehicles of a 25 year old uh, young lieutenant sure. at the time. So let's start at the beginning. What is the Flying Leatherneck Aviation Museum? Sure. So the uh, FLAM, as we call it, uh, is the only museum in the world dedicated to Marine Corps aviation. We have a very large collection of around 40 aircraft, all Marine Corps aircraft, with the exception of a MiG aircraft that hmm. we have. But they're all Marine Corps aircraft. Again, that is there, the museum, uh, to honor the history, legacy, and contributions of Marine Corps aviation to the security of our nation. Sure. Now, the facility here at Miramar, up until recently, when it closed, we've had on this podcast guests represent the USS Midway and the San Diego Air and Space Museum. How was the facility at Miramar different, if it was, or how did it compare? It was much smaller, of okay. course, compared to the uh, San Diego Air and Space and the uh, Midway. It was a great collaboration that we had with them. Because it was on the base, it was a little out of the normal tourist route here in San Diego. 
And, of course, you had to get on the base. The uh, mm. museum was on base. But we were able, several years ago, to build an access gate from Miramar, the road, so the public had free access. The real big difference was it was completely free to the public. There was oh. no charge at all. So although we were a small, mostly outside displays with a very small facility, it was free to the public, and that's the big difference. And what was the impetus to close it down? Was it a budget issue? I mean... Unfortunately, uh, the museum was, until recently, what we called the Marine Corps Command Museum. In other words, it was sanctioned by the Marine Corps, but the funding for the museum actually came out of the budget of the commanding officer for Miramar. And for a variety of reasons, they just ran out of money to be able to run their share of the operations. The museum was operated on a daily basis by the foundation volunteer staff, and of course the foundation uh, raised money to supplement the costs for the running of the museum. But when they, the Marine Corps, the air station, decided to close down the museum, we made efforts to try to take over the museum, but we just were unable to reach an agreement with the Marine Corps. I can imagine that was some fairly difficult discussions about that. Because here is, is it, well, let me ask you this. Is there an equivalent of this on the East Coast? Not aviation, but we do have the National Museum of the Marine Corps in Quantico, Virginia, which, of course, celebrates and recognizes the contributions of the United States Marine Corps. Uh, And it does have aviation displays. Again, this one was started and established specifically to recognize the contributions of Marine Corps aviation. And I've been out to the facility, and it's always amazing because you have helicopters from, I guess, what, the Korean or Vietnam eras. Right. You've got fighters. You've got the trainers, T-34 I've seen out there. And you said you have a MiG as well. So yep. really, what, if the Marine Corps flew it, it's out there? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. We, uh, we're a little short on early versions, pre-World War II. And as we start with the new facility in Irvine to build out the museum, we're hoping to acquire either actual pre-World War II aircraft or replicas. Replica, yeah. How do you acquire most of your aircraft? Is it a function of working with the government, maybe if there's something in long-term storage, or where do they come from? Yeah, there's a variety of ways. Initially, of course, the collection that we're going to relocate to Irvine's are 40 aircraft, so it's a very unique, almost one-of-its-kind movement of a whole museum. So our initial acquisition will be through the Marine Corps for those 40 aircraft. After that, like other museums, there are relationships and partnerships where museums will exchange on temporary loan aircraft. And as you mentioned, there are opportunities to acquire aircraft that uh, are privately owned or at DRMO. People are familiar, I think, with Davis-Mothin out in Tucson, Arizona, although I'm not sure of the specifics, but I believe there is a process where you can acquire aircraft from the government that are stored at Davis-Mothin. Right. We had an episode we visited there right before the COVID pandemic, oh, okay. and it was very neat to walk around. In fact, I saw the very first F-18 I ever flew at El Toro. Really? And uh, took a picture of myself uh, looking at it. Yeah, it was, it was a good reunion. Interesting. One of the Cobra that we have in our collection, mm-hmm. I actually have flight time in that aircraft. No, that yeah, right? So I, I can appreciate yeah. your, your feelings when you saw yeah. that. Well, for sure. General, I have to ask you this question, and I apologize in advance. But So when I was in Orange County 30 years ago, we had Tustin, we had El Toro. It was sort of a marine town, but I could feel the winds of change. Both of those organizations have been gone a while now, those bases, I should say. I'm told one of the two blimp hangers at Tustin is coming down. The other will be preserved for historical. The Great Irvine Park, as you mentioned, has turned in. I think there's a concert venue there now and housing. Uh, who are you hoping to reach? I, I, I don't want to ask it this way, but I will. Who, 
Who's going to care? So hopefully, and we believe, and there's been uh, studies that there's a large retired population in Orange County that serve both at Tustin and at El Toro. Mm -hmm. They're still there and the families are there. So they certainly have a connection to the history of those two installations. But it's not only the military that were there. There was a large civilian population that have a very strong connection with the uh, both air stations. And of course, there are many visiting families Mm -hmm. that knew their civilian parents were there at the air station. So those are the, the people we know have a great deal of interest. The other thing which is very important is that both Tustin and El Toro were major contributors to the economic growth yeah. of Orange County. And I think the people, especially the elected officials, they recognize that contribution, again, not only of the air stations in Orange County, but if you go back to World War II, starting up in Santa Barbara, going all the way down the coast to San Diego, think of the contributions the military made as a result of World War II to the economic growth of Southern California. So I think we have a huge history and connection, the military, with the population still. Well, and I hope that's true because we tend to, as a population, move on, don't we? So many people have forgotten those lessons, and they just wake up one day and they say, hey, this is where I live, this is what's happening. Wait, why are these military aircraft here? What's this base? Why why don't they tear down this giant hangar that's no need for it anymore? So I think it's great that we are... You, but if I can include myself in that, trying to remind people that, look, we didn't just wake up today. There is obviously some history and heritage here, and we want to remind people of that, and aviation museums are a good way to do that. Absolutely. I think all museums are, but especially this museum. Yeah. Do you have any concern being so far from the nearest Marine Air Station? I mean, at that point, their closest Marine facility will be probably Camp Pendleton. So you're going to be a little bit of an island up there in uh, Orange County these days. A little bit, but uh, we, based on our business plan and our business model, we'll be very self-sufficient. But the good news is we do have several military Marine Corps installations nearby where we can continue to collaborate and support each other. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's not that far uh, for me to drive right now up to Irvine. I can get up and back in an hour and 15 minutes. So (laughs) it's uh, I don't think that will cause a problem for us at all. I hope not. Well, and I I am Los Angeles-based in my airline capacity, and I sometimes fly out of the John Wayne Airport there in Santa Ana. So I still get to uh, hang around in those areas. Tell me about, though, this effort that you are about to undergo, you and your organization, because everything is in Miramar, as I understand. Everything needs to be in El Toro, I should say Irvine. You can't just uh, snap your fingers and get them there overnight. So what's that effort look like? Yeah, to describe it as a monumental effort, I think, does it an injustice. If you can imagine the efforts that it takes not only to disassemble and create the aircraft that require disassembly because they can't fit on the freeway, and then packing up all the micro-artifacts, the machinery, and other items that are necessary to support the museum down Interstate 5, it's not going to be a weekend event. So uh, we are already making plans, and we are in discussion with companies. We have one, we think, identified that specializes in moving large aircraft, the disassembly and movement of that. So we have that plan. We're also talking with another firm that will move the micro artifacts and other equipment machinery that we have. So it's going to be uh, probably a a six-week effort to do that. We will begin the disassembly, the packing, hopefully the end of May, 1st of June, and begin the transportation of all the aircraft and, again, micro artifacts and machinery 
probably late August, early September. It's going to take around six weeks. A lot of coordination with uh, CHP for those oversized loads to get them down the road. But we're hoping to make it a little bit of a media event. How many times will someone have an opportunity to see at different periods of the day mm. and week 40 aircraft rolling down the air, uh, the freeway. It's like a parade. It will be a parade. <laughs> so we're hoping to make it an event. We will document and capture that because, it, again, you don't move a whole museum of 40 aircraft that often. So we think it's an exciting opportunity to get the community involved and excited about what's coming. General, I think I've told this story on the show before, but for your sake, I'll try to make it quick. So I was in a squadron that had my name on a F-18 once, and our air wing commander happened to do a landing on the carrier, and it was too hard, and it damaged the aircraft. It never flew again. He did that at the beginning of the deployment, and it sat in the hangar the whole time with my name on it. It was all <laughs> forlorn. And so I left deployment early to go to Top Gun, and the aircraft was craned off later in Jacksonville, Florida. And somehow it was on the back of a truck going down Interstate 5 on its way to the depot here at North Island. When I happened to be also driving down Interstate 5, I looked over at this F-18 and there was my name <laughs> on the side of it. Yeah. And I thought, oh, great, this thing just went across the country. And there's Lieutenant Aiello or whatever Oh, yeah, said. on but a trailer. What? Yeah. But it was just, it was so like, what are the chances? I mean, five minutes difference, I wouldn't have seen oh, it. Oh, yeah. And so I assume a lot of these moves will be in the middle of the night just because uh, of the size. For oversized moves, yes. Yeah. But those that fit on... On a uh, regular tractor trailer, we believe we'll be able to move them during the day and, again, kind of make it a community involvement. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I'm guessing overpasses are generally of a certain size that civil engineers all know about. So yeah. when you're putting something on the truck, someone does a measurement and make sure that exactly. vertical the, the, uh, transportation not, firm yeah. knows that. And as you well know, all these aircraft have to fit in carriers in the hangar right, deck. Yeah. So they're by design already and with the folding wings mm-hmm. with and with the height, you know, made to fit on carriers. So uh, we yeah. don't think we'll have much of a problem. So I hate to ask, but I will. You had said before you didn't charge admission. This doesn't sound cheap to me. No. And you're building a big facility. No, this will be a uh, private-public partnership, and we will charge admission for this okay. one. It will be a museum, of course, a nonprofit museum. So we're going to certainly charge admission, but in our business plan, we have included certainly uh, either reduce or free visitation for veterans, especially uh, veterans that have disabilities of some sort, family packages for reduced prices. We're very big. This is not just a museum that will honor the history and legacy of Marine Corps aviation and the contributions of El Toro and Tustin. A strong part of our museum will focus on the STEM discipline, science, technology, engineering, and math. We believe that education is a big part of a museum. Is this not about old guys like us going <laughs> looking at aircraft with their right. names on the side of right. it. It's about not only stimulating interest in these STEM disciplines, but to grow an appreciation in our youth, the contributions that the military and the defense industry makes to the defense of our country. So education is a big part of this uh, museum for us. Good. Attention veterans. Obtaining the right medical evidence could make a significant impact on your disability rating. It's easy to feel overwhelmed with paperwork, or you may have no idea how to get started. If your disability rating is at or below 90%, AllVeteran.com is here to help. AllVeteran is a powerful resource that can help you collect the needed medical evidence to support your service-connected disability and potentially increase your rating. Simply visit info.allveteran.com forward slash jello and fill out the form. It only takes a minute. 
Soon after, you'll be connected with medical specialists who have helped thousands of veterans gather the evidence needed to accurately increase their disability rating. No hassle, just a straightforward way to accurately support your VA disability rating. An increased rating may be easily within your reach thanks to this valuable resource committed to ensuring you receive the benefits you rightfully earned. Get started today by visiting info.allveteran.com forward slash J-E-L-L-O. And do you anticipate probably having events there for the local schools and uh, Absolutely. In- interaction? And, yeah, we'll continue know. with free tours for schools, sure. uh, as I said, because education is a big one. Various associations, conventions. I mean, if things really get going, uh, we would hope in the future presidential debates of some sort. So, oh, yeah, we have a great team Good. that uh, has no limit in their imagination on the potential of this facility and this museum. I can imagine. Now, where are we as we record this in early summer 2023? You talked about aircraft moving towards the end of summer. Will the facility be ready and just the aircraft will show up and that's the end of it? Or are they showing up and then there's still construction? Or No, there's quite a bit to, to be done. So the we have a great partnership with the city of Irvine, who in two weeks begins the site preparation for the uh, facility that will be erected. That's going to take around 18 months, and then we'll start the building of the new facility. In the meantime, beginning with the transportation of the aircraft later on this year, we will store them in one of the old World War II hangars. We describe it as Hangar 297. For those who are Marines, it's the old Raider KC-130 hangar. So all the aircraft will be stored there, and we will begin almost immediately later this year maintenance, conservation, and restoration of the aircraft that will continue until we open the doors. And of course, all the aircraft will then be moved over to the new facility. So it's a phased-in approach, as you can well imagine. And when do you expect a grand opening? So at the earliest, uh, which of course, subject to any delays for any any number of reasons. Exactly. (laughs) We are hoping that it will be late 2025, early 2026. Okay, wow. But because we have Hangar 297 available, and we're going to do restoration there. We anticipate for fundraising and special events to be able to host some sort of activities and tours in that restoration effort, which we think will be pretty exciting for people. I imagine so. What happens at the facility in Miramar when the last aircraft in the last, when that all is gone, what happens in Miramar? Anything? No, Miramar stays there, of course. And well, the base. I the base, but, yeah. But, but the grounds where the museum, where the museum was yeah. at. For those that have an opportunity uh, here in Southern California to drive past the former location of the museum off Miramar Road, you'll see that it's pretty overgrown now and looks mm. like, unfortunately, a weed field. A little tired. Uh, yeah, a little, very tired. The old facility, the museum, the small one, uh, will be demolished. And then the restoration hangar, which is a little off-site, of the, uh, where the museum was at, uh, will continue and be used by the Marine Corps for other storage and other okay. uses. Great. And are you partnering? You said earlier you had a relationship with San Diego Air and Space and the Midway a little bit. They have some marine displays there. Are you involved in any kind of network, if you will, or other museum facilities? Yeah, we network, in fact, uh, with all of them. We are learning the museum business, if you will. Uh, both the Midway and especially the San Diego Air and Space have been mm. very, very helpful. In fact, we are modeling our business plan based yeah. on those two facilities. But I just two weeks ago met with the Lions Museum up at, by John Wayne Airport. Oh. It had some great networking opportunities there. We've been in discussion with the uh, museum out in Palm Springs. 
So, uh, and of course, we continue to talk with the Naval Aviation Museum in Pensacola. So, yeah, we are continuing to network and build a relationship with all of them. Great. And I just saw that the National Naval Aviation Museum is about to open their doors again, which is great because, like you said, for Miramar, they had some issues being central in Naval Air Station Pensacola. Yeah, so, on base, as you yeah. well know, security issues. And, yeah. Yeah, that makes it tough. You won't have that problem at the Great Park in Irvine. That's obviously public area. Public area? Yeah. No, absolutely. It's going to be a public facility, you know, open to the public. So, no, not, no restrictions at all. What other plans are there for the park itself? Will, will you be one of many venues? We will be. In fact, yeah, the runway is soon to be a thing of the past. So, the city has developed, I believe it's around a $720 million project. Oh to completion of the redevelopment of the former air station El Toro. That $720 million will do away with the runway completely. Mm-hmm. Of course, our facility, the Flam Museum, along with two other organizations, the Orange County Theater and Dance and Pretend City, will be in close proximity to us in an area we call the Cultural Terrace West. So that will provide a educational, historical, cultural venue for people to visit either the Flam, the Orange County Theater and Dance, or Pretend City. And then towards the north, as the city builds out, the project they call the uh, Great Park Framework. So they have a plan that will build a new amphitheater, a new botanical garden, a memorial park, and I think uh, there's now going to be a uh, pool facility of some sort, And then they have a library that's going in also. And then surrounding all that area will be a very large natural walkways and area. So, yeah, the runway is gone. (laughs) It will be gone here very (laughs) shortly under the uh, Great Park Framework Project. I seem to recall when El Toro closed in 1999, they weren't sure what they would be able to do because the soil, I I guess, you know, military operations was so full of oil and fuel and all that. But apparently they've figured out a way to clean that up and reclaim it. And from the air, like I said, it used to be, I want to say, was it two parallel runways or maybe cross? Three, four. Yeah, they had then a cross one also. And I just see them sort of shrinking up and disappearing. It's sad. Uh, It was where I flew the F-18 for the very first time. Oh, yeah, a lot of people have memories of those. So uh, unfortunately, they're just going to be memories. But... Again, this yeah. museum will capture that for everyone. I think that's great. Yeah. General, I have a couple questions here provided by supporters of the Fighter Pilot Podcast I'd like to post to you. Some I think we've already answered, but let me just take a look anyway. Sure. Uh, the first is from Jim Gundog as he goes. He says, this has got to be an incredibly expensive effort moving all the stuff and aircraft to Orange County. Do they expect a larger group of visitors and patrons? The answer is yes to both of those. It is a very expensive venture, as you can well imagine. To transport the aircraft, the micro artifacts, other machinery and material, we have a budget of $5 million for that. So that will cover all the expenses. And of course, like any planned budget, if you come under, it's even better. It is an expensive venture. We are in partnership with the city of Irvine for the erection of the facility. Our complete budget is $46 million. Wow. The city has uh, committed a grant, I'll describe it as a grant, of $20 million to go towards the payment for the erection of the new facility and to help for the transportation costs. The foundation has already raised $5 million that will be used for exhibit displays and the planning and design efforts. So out of our $46 million budget, we're over 50% there. So we're excited about that. But it is an expensive venture. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, moving 40 aircraft down the freeway along with all the other 
right. stuff is quite a Herculean effort, and we're excited about that. For sure. First off, congratulations on raising over half, but that still leaves, by my math, about $20 million to raise. Yep. So what's the plan for that, if you don't mind So, of asking? course, uh, <laughs> part of that includes uh, sharing with people this exciting project mm-hmm. in hopes that they're interested. If I may, we have a website, www.flyingleathernecks.org. You can donate online. We appreciate anyone uh, donating that. And there are several ways to donate. Of course, you can go online and donate cash, which we always accept. There's opportunities for tax advantages. If you have an IRA or some other mechanism that you want to take uh, advantage of not paying taxes on, you can make uh, donations to us through that. And for older listeners, if they have trust or wills, you know, they can provide legacy donations. So those are all part of the fundraising efforts that we are uh, pursuing right now to include such as podcasts such as this yeah. to share with people this exciting project. We do have contracted a professional fundraiser. We have a strategic fundraising plan. And uh, we're only, uh, like you said, $20 million shy of our goal. <laughs> well, I trust that you'll get there. And it's certainly my honor to be able to help have this discussion, which is interesting anyway. But my hope is, of course, that any of our viewers or listeners might be so inclined to contribute in advance of hopefully going in late 25 or 26, it sounds like. I certainly yeah. hope to do that as well. Next question is from Joe Kunzler. His is a fun question. Are they going to let folks sit in the cockpits? So, again, I would expect this will be a fairly hands-on type of facility. It is. We want to make ours a very uh, experiential type of environment. We did have, well, we were at Miramar, what we called open cockpits. The kids loved it, kids of all ages. In fact, some of the old fighter pilots enjoyed (laughs) getting in the F-18 and some of the other aircraft we have. So, yes, depending on the... uh, conditions set upon us for the loaning of the aircraft, we want to continue to have open cockpit opportunities. And certainly for a couple of the large aircraft, the 53, we have a flying boxcar that we'll be bringing. Those will be open and visitors will be able to walk in and out of those. Great. That sounds great. All right. John Soldo says, why were they kicked out of a nice location at MCAS Miramar in the first place? His words. Yeah. And <laughs> again, we, we answered that. It was monetary yeah. budget constraints. Uh, the Marine Corps just couldn't afford it anymore. We wanted to try to retain it on Miramar by privatizing that. But for legal reasons, the, okay. we just couldn't cross that bridge. But we were very fortunate where we were in discussions with the Marine Corps that the city of Irvine approached us and said, you're welcome here. So wow. we took that. Yeah. Okay, so they asked you didn't. Uh, oh yeah. That, oh great. They, uh, they, uh, and I think the fact that they've uh, committed twenty million dollars sure, underscores their commitment to yeah. wanting to bring this museum back to its original right. home at El Toro. Well, and I hope that the way you have explained the decision. While it was very factual, you left out, I uh, would hope, was any of the emotion of, hey, look, we really hate to do this, but we just can't do any other, you know. (laughs) You're absolutely right, Jello. As you can well imagine, aviation, especially for military pilots, you know, is a very personal thing, especially when you start seeing these aircraft and you're concerned with the future of where they might go. So Mm -hmm. they were very disappointed, all our visitors and longtime uh, supporters were very concerned as to what was going to happen with the aircraft. Well, sometimes hard decisions have to be made, and, oh, yeah. you know, but not lightly. Sean Sterling says, are you going to move all the aircraft? So we've talked about the fact that you're moving aircraft, but let me ask you this. Are there any duplicates or some that you're just thinking, you know what, we don't need this one anymore? Yeah, that's a great question because it was all driven by our budget. What could we afford to do? Okay. And because we've been so successful with our fundraising, I'm pleased to share that 
our biggest problem was the flying boxcar. Explain that, because when you said it earlier, I just nodded like I knew what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, so that's, is- a, that's a big transport aircraft. <laughs> okay. Dual engine, looks like a P-38 with the side bodies and then a big center part. Okay. Except around 10 times bigger. Wow. So it's a transport aircraft, very large. And that, and we have the old, we call it C-117, the DC-3, C-47. Okay. And then we have a B-25. Marine Corps calls it a PBJ. We were concerned with having storage space and space in the museums. So I'm really pleased to share. Actually, it was today we informed the Marine Corps we're going to take it all. Wow. So we, uh, we have the budget to move them. And our plans for the uh, design and of the aircraft and the facility all will accommodate it. The larger ones, who of course, will be outside. So well, we're taking everything. Good. Well, you haven't had, dare I say, too many new aircraft in the Marine Corps in a while, but is there talk about possibly trying to get an F-35B or C, maybe even if it just looks like one? <laughs> so uh, the answer to that is yes. We want to start off All with right. the V-22 that yeah. predates the F-35 and then certainly get an F-35. And although we are going to focus on Marine Corps aviation, we will also have some displays that talk about civil aviation. As part of our STEM program, education, mm. we want to show how the mechanics of uh, civilian aircraft work, big jet engines and airlines. Sure, sure. Uh, so we want to include that. And we'll have, there are Marines in space, beginning with John Glenn. So we're hopefully in the future, if uh, NASA decides that there's another uh, space shuttle they need to uh, get rid of, we want to be the first ones in line to say we'll take it. <laughs> you can paint Marines right on the side. Right of, on the side of that. Yeah, That's fantastic. right. Fantastic. Good. I used to fly in flight school the T-2 Buckeye, and it was a Navy squadron, but we had Marines on one side of it. Do you have some of those trainers? I know you have a T-34. Yeah, the T-34, of course, was a uh, yeah. naval training. In fact, that's what I st- got mine, like sure. you probably, our initial training mm-hmm. in. But yeah, we have a T-34, and we'll paint that in the uh, training command colors in there. So okay. yeah. And right. uh, yeah, and as you well know, uh, for initial training, either flight school training or when you go to advance, the Marine Corps and Navy shares, and you went with 101, I guess, up I in did? Alto. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we uh, bring in the instructors. We exchange instructors mm-hmm. and, of course, uh, students. Fantastic. And my last listener question is from Sven Weber. How do you obtain the aircraft? Do you need a good working relationship with the government to get surplus equipment, or is there a market for vintage aircraft? Again, we sort of touched on this, but a little bit, else? yeah, yeah. Uh, again, uh, all these aircraft are Marine Corps owned right now, so they'll transfer those to us. But in the future, there is an opportunity to exchange between museums. There are, on occasion, for sale vintage aircraft. A lot of them fly. We're only interested in non-flying display aircraft. And then, of course, as I mentioned, Davis-Mothin. I haven't really researched that enough to be able to answer how you go about or if they're available. But uh, there are also aircraft within the government that occasionally become available. So we're anxious to explore every avenue and grab as much as we can, as long as it says Marine on the side. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, General, you have and you being the whole organization and the whole effort, quite a bit of work ahead of you over the next several years. What have I not asked you? What do people need to know about this big move of the Flying Leatherneck Aviation Museum or the historical foundation uh, that I haven't asked you? Well, first of all, I have a whole board that supports me. You know, so although I'm the uh, guide on, I guess, if you will, or the point man, I like to describe it. The board is the captain of the ship, and I'm manning the helm. Okay. You know, so I'm just steering the uh, direction of mm-hmm. whatever the direction the board gives me. But in terms of uh, importance, I guess, and what this is going to do, again, I want to emphasize, it's just not about celebrating the history and legacy of Marine Corps aviation or the contributions the Marine Corps made to the development of Orange County. 
uh, most importantly for us, it's about sharing and stimulating our youth in the STEM disciplines. You know, uh, mm-hmm. not to criticize the education, but we are concerned as the importance we now have in development of the future generation that is necessary to keep our position in the global economy and global security. Mm -hmm. And that all stems around not only the military, but we're not a recruiting venue. We are an educational venue, and we are going to emphasize the STEM disciplines along with an appreciation of the contributions of Marine Corps Aviation and all service members that have defended this country. And I believe you have that in the right order because, like you said, the education, the experience for the young and the next generation is great. But I know for me, as I continue to age and become further removed from my own career, there's an element of pride, dare I say, when I go to the museum with my kids or friends and I see an F-18 on display or a T-2 or T-34 to be able to say, I did that. Oh, yeah. And do you know what it takes to do that? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah Absolutely. Fantastic. Agree with you completely. Tell us the website again, if you would. www.flyingleathernecks, with an S, plural, mm-hmm. .org. .org. Okay. Fantastic. Well, we'll be happy to help promote that as much as we can. And I just want to wish you all the best on this big effort that you have. And if we could, uh, let's try to keep in touch because it might be fun to grab my videographer over here, Kevin, and Come watch the parade, as we uh, said earlier. Oh, absolutely. And get some footage of it and help continue to uh, get you that second half of that fundraising that you're, uh, you're going to need to do. Uh, like I said, it's only $20 million. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, before I let you go, we have a tradition here on the Fighter Pilot Podcast to ask about call signs. So we talked earlier about the fact that you were the first gentleman of uh, Mexican descent to ascend to general officer rank. So I want to ask you about your call sign. I'm a little bit nervous that it might have something to do with that. That, but <laughs> well, it does. Not surprisingly, it's El Jefe. <laughs> okay. So I think those that are familiar with uh, Spanish or with that, and normally it just goes Jefe, cut it short. Sure. Of course, uh, for those that have no uh, knowledge of Spanish, I have to say it doesn't mean fatso. <laughs> Hefe. Uh, but yeah, it was El Hefe. Okay. Well, there's not too many fat Marines. No, uh, no, no. no. We goodness. try not to. Yeah, fantastic. Well, General Sir Hefe, thank you so much for coming on the Fighter Pilot Podcast today. And best wishes to you and the Flying Leatherneck Aviation Museum and your big move coming up and your new facility. Sounds exciting. I look forward to visiting. Well, Jello, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Fighter Pilot Podcast the internet show that explores the fascinating world of air combat. Visit our website, fighterpilotpodcast.com, for a blog, a glossary of the terms used on this show, and a shop page featuring unique military aviation-themed books and apparel. Check out our YouTube channel to watch hundreds of military aviation-themed videos. And for exclusive content, head on over to our Patreon page. Thanks for listening.